Hello everyone. Welcome to Switchcraft the Fingerboard podcast. My name is Jana and this time I have a guest from the United States again. Say hello to Levine from USA Fingerboard League. Hey, my name is Levine Cunningham with the United States Fingerboarding League. I am super honored to be on this Switchcraft Fingerboard podcast. It's been a uh, it's been something I've been kind of wanting to do for quite some time, I'm not going to lie. Yeah, and uh, this also brings me to a bit of housekeeping I have to do before we jump into the actual episode. So uh, we've been planning to do this for quite a while, and then I spontaneously decided to take a hiatus or didn't really decide, it just happened that way. So from now on, I uh, probably try to keep it at one episode per month and not two per month as previous. And yeah, but I... uh, try to keep it regular again and yeah you will hear from me in the future so let's just get this on so first of all uh, thank you for for waiting on me and sorry for keeping you that long um when i first saw that uh, you were starting the united uh, states fingerboard league it got me really excited because i don't think this has been done for pretty much as long as I've been in the scene. Like when I came to the German scene, there was a, a German, uh, the Deutsche Meisterschaft it was called, the German Championship. And that one was uh, done over multiple stops, uh, uh, only in Germany. And in Germany, you can drive from one end to the other in like 10 hours. I, In the States, it's much bigger. <laughs> and so... Uh, they stopped doing that, I think, in 2004, and then uh, did the German Championship instead at one big event, which was usually the uh, uh, the uh, Fast Fingers in Schwarzenbach, where, uh, where uh, Black River is from. So when I saw that you were doing a fingerboard league, I was like, my first thought was, that's cool. My second thought was, that must be a lot of work to coordinate something like that amongst like such a big country. It honestly, it is a lot of work. Um, a little bit about myself, I guess, just to kind of kick things off just so that people kind of know mm-hmm. a little bit about me and like who I am, what, what my background and stuff like that is. And uh, I mean, I went to school, I got an MBA, I've got major in a basically finance so I got an accounting background, minor in economics, and I own a Comic-Con, which is a pop culture convention. Oh, It's called Branson Con. I used to live in Branson, Missouri. And so hosting large events, I mean, five, 6,000 people, two, three-day weekend events is something that I love to do. I'm a huge nerd. Obviously, <laughs> you know, if you own a Comic-Con, you got to be a massive nerd. So yeah. I am a huge nerd at heart. And... Hosting events is always something that I just love doing. It is a lot of work, but it is very rewarding. Um, Just basically like having people come to an event and just seeing their faces and their smiles and just their pure look of joy over just what you kind of created. It's just, I can't match it with anything else. So for me to basically kind of take that love for hosting events with my passion of fingerboarding, it just kind of made sense to just kind of mesh the two. And Mm -hmm. so 
that has been basically my life since COVID. Basically, is building this chain of events, which is now the Twelve City National Tour. And what what cities are those, or what states? Like, do you concentrate on one one coast, or do you try to include the whole country, or Yeah, how, yeah. How do you do I that? Mean, 2021, we did a four-city tour. We did Las Vegas, Denver, Chicago, and Indianapolis, which are in four completely different states, not really close to each other. And mm. none of them were in my own backyard. So, like, I was hosting events. Literally, the closest one was eight-hour drive away. Damn. So, <laughs> definitely a lot of work. Um I am really just one person. I was able to pull off last year's tour with the help of my mom, Jewel White, my fiance now wife, Victoria Love, Victoria Cunningham now. And I had a buddy who's a photographer, a videographer, and he brought his friend, a photographer, and we basically made this entire thing happen. That sounds really cool. And uh, what, uh, what cities are the ones that you're doing this year? Yeah, we're going to start off again this year. We're going to do Chicago starting May 29th. And then we will basically head out west. We'll do Denver, Colorado, Phoenix, Arizona, Las Vegas, Nevada, Tustin, California, Montebello, California, Atlanta, Georgia, Detroit, Michigan, Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, Dallas, Texas, Minneapolis, Minnesota, and Indianapolis, Indiana. As someone who only knows vaguely the geography of uh, the United States, this still sounds very comprehensive to me and very all over the place. It is very all over the place. We try to put these cities in communities that are already established. We feel like we want to try to grow communities, but whenever you're hosting large events on these kind of a scale, it is best to obviously try to put them in communities that are already established. Mm -hmm. So yeah, strategically, a few, yeah. A few uh, cities that I know where events usually are happening or people are that are doing things. Yeah, so we just kind of took that model. We are pretty excited to have our tour hit three other fingerboarding shops. So we've got Tustin, California with G8 Sessions, Montebello, California. They're like 45 minutes like between mm -hmm. the two, which are back-to-back -back dates. But the Playhouse Fingerboard Shop as well out of oh, Montebello, cool. California. We've also got Good Vibes out of Dallas, Texas as well. So we'll be basically hosting our events at three other fingerboarding shops. And then we've got ourselves at the end of the tour at the USFBL headquarters. Nice. Well, uh, we'll talk about that a bit later. Because uh, I'm also very, very excited to talk about that. But let's first uh, stick to the events. Um, yeah. What made you decide to create one big tour rather than having one big event to hold uh, like one uh, weekend championship or something like that? Yeah, so I, I mean, I'm a business owner. So it's one of those like whatever we do, we always look at it as like try to scale things on a larger scale. We started off small last year in 2021. We did a four city tour. And so we, last year was really just kind of a proof of concept because no mm -hmm. one really has done what we're doing. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah. it makes me nervous to try to like do things that no one's ever done because usually there's a reason for it. 
and there's always a reason for it coming into play, but basically like we weren't sure if people were even going to show up or Mm -hmm. if there was enough people to really support a tour or, you know, there's just a lot of questions out there that no one really had the answers to. Like you can kind of sit there and kind of throw out opinions, but like there was no like facts, like, you know, if we host an event in Las Vegas, like would people show up? If we host an event in Denver, like would people show up? And then we had a $30 ticket, which in the fingerboarding scene is like unheard of. It is an expensive ticket. I think the most expensive ticket I've ever came across, like just sponsoring and looking at other people's events, I think it was like $10. So like we came in three times higher than like, you know, the next highest person. So for me, it was really just like, okay, if we're going to, you know, we have to offset expenses and stuff like that. We have travel, we've got truck and trailer, gas, hotel stays, stuff like that. So, you know, we've got to, you know, try to figure out a way to try to break even. Like no one Mm -hmm. obviously is getting rich doing this, but yeah, (laughs) it's just one of those, like we had to figure out what works, what doesn't work, what people are willing to pay for, what people are willing to participate in and what people are even like into and so 2021 was definitely a proof of concept, just trying to figure out what works, what doesn't work. And now we've kind of, after the tour, like we is clear as day, like what people are into, what we can do, what we can't do, what people care about, what people don't care about. So coming into 2022, we literally took all the things that did not matter or was not that big of a deal. And we literally focused on all of the things that everybody absolutely loved. Can, can you give an example of what you dropped and what you're focusing on? So we, last year we did 20 to 30 parks. We literally brought, so you would literally come to one of our events and you could session anywhere from 25 to 33 parks, depending on what city that, you went to. That's a lot. I, I don't think Fast Fingers has that many and that's the biggest amount of parks I, I've seen personally. They probably have like a good 20 plus parks, maybe close to 30, but it's, I mean, the biggest event here. Like, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's a lot. It's, uh, we definitely overkilled it. I mean, I'd rather over deliver than, you know, under deliver. So we literally just acquired as many parks as possible. You might even be able to scroll through our Instagram or find some of our earlier posts, just literally looking for any and all parks. Like we would buy it, we would rent it, we would trade for it. Like we were just trying to just acquire as many as possible. So when we went on tour, I'm like, the one thing that we absolutely had to get right is we have to bring a huge amount of parks for people to skate. Like, mm-hmm. regardless, we didn't do anything else right. Like, as long as you walked into a room and there was like a bunch of parks, like everybody's going to be happy. Yeah. And I, I think that's also one of the reasons why I remembered uh, it. Because I the first event I mm-hmm. saw was, I think, the one in Las Vegas. Uh, was, was that your second event? Uh, yes. Yeah. Because uh, I think I caught the trail end uh, of the previous one and then was like on Instagram for the second event and saw like your preparations for it. And uh, I was quite baffled on the amount of parks because I was like, like I said, we don't even have that many at Fast Fingers and that's in the in the city where most parks are made. So, um. Are you are you bringing less parks now, or do you curate them more? Or we are bringing less parks, so we are 
right now, currently, we're looking at 16. I'm thinking mm-hmm. that we can probably get it up to about 18. Very large scale, you know, six to eight and a half feet, basically, because the Black River Parks are eight and a half feet long. But just very high end, very well scaled, like just customized parks. And uh, we are looking basically to try to scale that down. One, it's we only have our trailer is only a seven by 16 footer. So Mm. I don't really want to get another trailer just to try to haul all the stuff. So it's one of those like we've got to kind of figure out how to kind of scale things down and make transportation and stuff like that a lot easier for us. Mm. So just the transport issues and stuff like that we had to address because we were just bringing too much, just too much stuff. And do you also have to bring other stuff besides parks or do you use the rest of the location where you are doing it in? Well, the key for us is to try to host them in event centers that are already mm. capable of hosting events. So like yeah. tables, chairs, all that stuff, like they will already provide that stuff for us. A lot of the times food will already be provided from the venue, but if not, then, you know, we can always get that catered in. So we don't have to spend a lot of time, like just transporting just random odds and end things like tables mm-hmm. and chairs and things like that. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I, uh, uh, I only peripherally know about the organizing stuff, but I, uh, I've been in the uh, magic, the gathering scene for ages and, I uh, I go to a lot of events or used to before COVID, and uh, there you would uh, you would have like an entry free fee from like the very like the really big events uh, like they are almost convention size. They usually have like around three to four thousand people there, like two thousand in the main event. They usually around sixty bucks, but smaller tournaments are usually anywhere from. 10 to 20 bucks entry and like even with that i think i heard a lot of the struggles that you were saying like you can't do it for for like less than x amount of money if you need to carry stuff like over half the country or if you in in magic you need to hire uh, like judges and uh, need a certain amount per player and stuff like that so there, there's always a certain expense that comes with an event of that scale. And like I said, I I don't think fingerboarders are used to that. And most fingerboards, fingerboard events I've been to were uh, mostly free. And if they were charged uh, or if they charged, they would just charge for like if you were participating would you also do like a door fee or do you have like a only entry fee if you want to participate in one of the contests? Yeah. So we've got a $30 entry fee to get into mm-hmm. the venue and participate um, as far as like sessioning all the parks, having access to all the vendors that are, you know, selling their mm-hmm. merchandise, stuff like that. And then we've got a $10 competitor pass. So if they want to compete in any of the five categories, they can basically purchase a $10 pass for each category. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, so, sounds cool. And I I think when you come to an event like that, it should, uh, like people will probably uh, say, oh, I wouldn't need to pay anything when I go to this event, but you might only have like two parks there and not really an organizer. So this is just more as uh, for the people at home listening. 
don't compare things with other things that don't match up. Like if you want to compare something like this, compare it to an event of a similar size where all the parks need to be brought in and that just doesn't exist. And I think, like I said earlier, there's probably a reason why that didn't exist. I I think the main reason is just it's a risk and it's also like a financial risk and it's mm-hmm. probably more amount of work than the average like event organizer for a fingerboard event who has never organized anything before or only works with like the youth club there uh, they already go to or the like like something where they already have a connection or something in that's in their city I have never heard of someone organizing a fingerboard event in a town they weren't like living in. That's one of the, that's actually some good points and stuff as well. I appreciate the fact that you notice those things. I mean, the the amount of work that it takes to put together just one event is a lot. Anybody who hosts an event will tell you like, it is a lot to put together one event. And so yeah. most people who host events, they only host like one or two events a year and they spread exactly. them out like exactly. four months from each other. Yeah. Or, or do like one big and only very small. Like for example, the Aussie shop, uh, we used to do uh, one big event uh, per year or usually even one big per year every two years, uh, uh, one big event every two years. And I uh, I helped Timo organize one one event where I did a lot of the work, and even just that one event was a lot because there's so many things you need to need to focus on, and people might think, oh, it's just getting a bunch of sponsors, but even that is a bunch of work, and then like handling all the re- registration and figuring out the venue, uh, figuring out the schedule, figuring out what you need like on site like uh, or just taking inventory of uh, of the sponsor stuff you already received like that was also a big thing like okay who who do we still have missing what do we have how can we structure the uh, what we have at the prizes yeah or That's, what scoring uh, do we use yeah. yeah i mean it's it's a lot so for us to literally put together a 12 city tour when we go out west i mean where we live we're central in the like united states map so we're in indianapolis indiana which is Mm -hmm. literally right smack in the middle of the map and so when we go all the way to california to the coast that is literally a three-day drive it's 36 hours for us to go (laughs) out to california that's insane i never driven that long with a car and we're doing it with a truck and a trailer. So we're, uh-huh. I mean, we're, we're trucking it. So yeah. for us, we're just in a straight line, just hitting all these cities, going all the way to the coast and then taking a three day trip back. So when we leave to go out West, like we're on the road for literally nine to 10 days. Do you, uh, do you do multiple events at once or do you do like one event per trip? Um, normally we try to, last year we just did one event per trip. We just, we started out small, just kind of like a proof mm-hmm. of concept. And then we really, all of skateboarding honestly is like just massive on the West coast. They got the best weather. Their scene has been, yeah. I mean, they pretty much founded it. So like yeah. for us to not have West coast stops would be, you know, it, it would 
it would definitely be a, a sad face on the on the tour for sure. Mm-hmm. So in order to include them, we have to literally do events back to back to back. So we would do an event one day and then we would literally pack everything up, take it to the next city and then host an event the next day. That that sounds like a lot of work. Like it even, is a just, lot of work. even just even just like about setting it up. Me, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and um Uh, so let's uh, talk a bit more uh, uh, about the fingerboarding side of it. Um, uh, how many or what categories do you have or what different types of contests do you hold at one one of those stops? Yeah, so each stop is going to be structured exactly the same. Mm -hmm. um, I'm, a, I'm old school. I'm all about routine. So <laughs> we will host... We, last year we did Novice, which is basically amateur, and then we had like a pro class. So we tried to divide the two classes. This year we are getting rid of the amateur Novice class, and it will only be, I wouldn't call it pro, it would just be like just one big class. Yeah. Um, so when we are basically, we're looking at five categories. We're looking at best run street, best run vert, best trick street, best trick vert, And then Game of Skate. Okay. Last year, we didn't have Game of Skate. We had all the other categories. This year, we we're getting rid of the Novice class and then adding Game of Skate just because of the amount of time it takes to try to get all of those com competitive like mm -hmm. just competitions in one session, one day. Yeah. I mean, sounds like it, it makes a lot of sense. And I think the getting rid of the Novice class is something that I, uh, from the outside looking in, also think is, is the right way to go. Because when, when I saw that you had like a, a separate class, I was wondering like how to, how could, to categorize people. Because in fingerboarding, it's much different uh, to be a pro in, rather than in skateboarding, where it's pretty much cut and dry. And yeah, even there... Yeah, and we agree. We had uh, some parameters, basically, to kind of categorize novice amateur classes. So, like, if you're doing best trick, if you're doing basically nollie or switch tricks, then you're going to have to get bumped up into the pro class. So, if you're doing, like, a two-part combo, like a kickflip nose slide, for instance, and you're mm. doing that in a nollie or a switch stance, then that's going to bump you up into, like, a pro class and not the mm. novice class. And, like, if you're doing a two-part trick or less, then you would be in, in the Novus class. If you're doing a three-part combo or better, then it would bump you into, like, the pro class. So we have, like, some parameters and stuff mm -hmm. that'll, like, help, like, more effectively kind of, like, separate the two classes. But I do agree that, like, it does get a little bit complicated. And when you're basically trying to do it on such a large scale, dealing with mm -hmm. lots of, you know, competitors exactly. from all kinds of different backgrounds, it's very, very difficult. Yeah, um, and I uh, I imagine that the that the game of skate takes a lot of time, right? Because you game would skate, probably yes. need to do that in do to do that just two people against each other, or do it do you do it in groups of like four or five people at once? We'll do it tournament style, so it'll be head to head mm. tournament style. 
I don't want to get a timer involved. We do a local indie league. We've got our own storefront here, so we host um, all of the like the categories and stuff locally here. So we basically yeah, cool. try to like get all the kinks and stuff out as far yeah, as sounds, like what works, what good. doesn't work. Yeah, so it's easier to do it in our store in our own backyard than it is to take it on the road and try to figure it out there. So we may have to put a timer on like just like how long it takes for people to try to figure out their tricks because we're noticing that like mm. it's probably going to be we're probably going to try to make like a video or recommendations basically basically like getting people to make a list of their tricks and have it handy so they can literally just look at their list and be like oh i need to do this trick instead of like trying to remember off the top of their head when you got a whole room full of people looking at you cameras and all that stuff I mean, you get real forgetful real fast. Whenever yeah. The pressure <laughs> yes. is off. And, uh, and your fingers start shaking. And, yeah. yeah. And you're like, man, I got to beat this guy. But I'm like, yeah. I can't think of a trick. And I know tricks, but I can't yeah. think of anything. <laughs> and uh, that is something uh, I know from uh, from few other people. Uh, for example, uh, uh, Ben, uh, Fingered Ben, Ben Dulac. Okay. Uh, yeah, he, yeah. he used to uh, always make a list uh, for his opponents. Like... When he played like Battle of the Gram or when we would do one over Discord, he would always like uh, have a list ready to go and sometimes even look at uh, his opponents, figure out what tricks they are good on and then scratch them from uh, like either scratch tricks from his list or add tricks to his list depending on his opponent. And I think just having a list of your go-to uh, is very helpful because yeah like you said as soon as the lights are on you're like i think i can do a kickflip what else <laughs> no i it yeah and a lot of people this will be like their first time actually competing and so there's just the nervousness of just competing then it's the nervousness of it being your first time competing And so, I mean, it's one of those, like, no one wants to mess up and no one wants to, you know, look bad in a room full of people. So, like, the yeah. pressure and stuff can be overwhelming a little bit. Yeah. And uh, do you uh, do you have rules for the game of skate? Because in, in Berlin uh, specifically, because in Germany, it's a bit... Berlin is pretty much, I think, the strictest scene because we have people coming to the shop, like weekly like either from all over europe or just people from berlin and i have friends who i played probably in the two or three hundreds game of skates uh with like with just that person so we play a lot of game of skates and we see a lot of people we all been at plenty of events so with us it's pretty much there is no offensive redo for example doesn't matter what either either you take the trick and it's good or you don't take the trick and your opponent is uh, and it's their turn because i think with a lot of contests where people don't like specify things like that it leads to circumstances where either party is not happy or yeah so and we kind of had some issues like that as well doing it here at our local league we've kind of we've Actually, I've been having talks and stuff with like Martin and 
Ollie and all them with Black Rivers are a huge mm-hmm. sponsor and stuff for us. And uh, told them like, hey, we've been hosting Game of Skate here locally, and we've like had these issues. And like, they're like, oh, you need to do it like this and like that. And I'm like, oh my goodness, like that's a game changer. So we've actually perfected the Game of Skate rules now. Oh, based off of some of their recommendations and stuff like that to kind of help us figure out the issues that we're having, how to get past those. Mm-hmm. And so we basically, we have it where you obviously you have to call out your trick before you yes. attempt it. There will be two lines on the table. I don't yes. know if you're familiar with that yes, whole structure. Yes, yes. That was the key component of game escape that we were just, just lacking until we, they told us about it. And I'm like, Oh my gosh, that's why the two lines are there. So you roll over the first line and that's going to be a center compartment between the two lines. And then you do your trick in between the two lines, you land your trick and then you roll over that second line so that you can see if you have like a, obviously using skateboarding terms, you have like a foot drag or, you know, if it's been landing stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah. So it'll, it eliminated the whole, like, was that clean? Was it not clean? Because if you do it stationary, like sometimes your hand like will cover things up and you can't quite see all the angles. And we had issues with it where we're judging it, we see it. And it's kind of like, we kind of couldn't really tell. And then you look at the footage and it's like, oh yeah, that was not clean at all. Yeah. And so we had to figure that out. Like, how do we, how do we fix that? And so after that conversation and stuff with them, with Black River, like we were just like, yeah, this is, this is definitely the way. That, that's that's really cool that you uh, get support from them because um yeah because the the line thing i also think is quite important because i played games uh, against people who would do a trick stationary and uh do like the same trick twice and once fakey once regular but uh, yeah. yeah since it was stationary or even if they were rolling a tiny bit like it's it's much easier to see what a trick is and to see if the trick was proper when you ride on do your trick and ride off and don't just yeah do it on the table like you would do at home yeah we we agree we uh also there's no redos on offense or defense unless you're on the last letter okay that's that's also uh that's even uh even more strict than the berlin rules but i I like it strict but but it's one of those like either you have it or you don't yeah exactly and i'm like I'm I'm probably the uh, the person who has the most unclean tricks in Game of Skate against my friends because uh, and I think it helped me quite a lot to clean up my tricks because like only hanging out with people that were all on the Berlinwood team or whatever like it teaches you to not try to win the game but to more like have a nice game and I think just just try to land new tricks and landing tricks clean. And yeah, it really helps to have parameters that uh, help you reinforce that. Well, being on a competitive league, I feel like it needs to be a little bit more strict than most. Mm-hmm. And then that way, at the end of the day, you can't blame anything or anyone, you know yeah. what I mean? So like, yeah if you have like multiple duos or whatever, this, that, I mean, there's a lot of like, there's a lot of room for finger pointing and we're just trying to figure out that weird blend where like this works for almost all cases. Yeah. And uh, how does it work with uh, 
having all those uh, contests or all those yeah all those contests in one day because I I've been to uh, to events where it was all one big contest of runs or one big contest of game of skate or I even been uh, uh, to Pateo where we did like three contests uh, there we did one on like two two ledges one on a stair set and one on a bowl and the stair set and bowl ones were quite small and the yeah because the ledge thing was the main thing and even that took hours so how do do you run uh, run some of the contests like uh, on at the same time or how how does it even work to uh, do runs can skate tricks and all of that in one day for five categories yeah no we completely that's a good question so we cap the amount of competitors that can compete in each category mm -hmm. i actually should have written all those down i almost know it off the top of my head but i don't want to like give out the wrong information but let's just say it's throwing out a number this is not the official number yeah. so let's say yes. we can have 16 competitors for game of skate so we would literally cap it all the way up to mm -hmm. 16 people. Makes sense. And then anything over that, they just would not be able to compete in that category yeah, just because sense. of the amount of time. So we structure the events where we open the doors at 12 and then at 1.30, we will start the actual like competition. So you can free sesh all of the parks from 12 to 6 p.m., except for Minneapolis, that's a nighttime one. We had some issues with the venue and trying to lock in that date and whatnot, but that's a nighttime event. All the other ones are gonna be 12 p.m. to 6 p.m. Mm -hmm. And from 1.30, I wanna say until 5, 5.15, we'll basically be doing nothing but back-to-back -back competitions. So there's gonna be obviously plenty of parks for people to sesh if they're not interested in competing. If you're one of those that like, you wanna sesh and then you wanna like actually watch some of the competitions, then like, you know, you can freely watch the competition. So there's a lot of entertainment. There's a lot of like things going on. We've got DJs at each one of the venues. Like it's a really cool vibe. And then we've got an award ceremony that pretty much ends up the event. So we'll be giving out all the awards, prizes, medals. Um, we had medals and all that prizes, cash prizes, stuff like that all last year. And so we're looking to redo the exact same thing this year as well. I don't know if you've seen these medals, but these medals are actually pretty legit. Like they're no, I or maybe I'm not quite sure. But yeah, they're uh, they're they're legit medals. Like we kind of went all out on these medals and. I wish I could win one, even though we can like <laughs> them, but like it doesn't mean that like it's not the same meaning. But like, man, like I kind of want some of these. Maybe you can do a do a category for uh, most events uh, organized over the country or something like that. I'll have to figure out a way to get myself a medal. But yeah, they're 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 pretty sweet medals. I'm not gonna lie. Like you can earn points on each event for organizing it, and so you just win automatically. And then we also are structuring our ranking system. So, because mm -hmm. that's also something I was, uh, I was uh, excited to hear about or interested in. Well, we did a ranking system last year, and it kind of works, but it's more based off of participation, and it mm -hmm. wasn't a true guide of how good someone actually is. So we've been kind of 
just back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, trying to figure out the perfect ranking system. And after running our local league here at the shop and kind of doing the exact same thing, we realized that like what we were doing is cool, but it wasn't like a very good way of judging how good a fingerboarder is like skateboarding does. Mm -hmm. And so if you don't mind, I can actually kind of run off some of the. Yes, uh, I would very much like that. Yeah. So last year we kind of combined all the categories together to where the points would carry over and they would accumulate this year. If you do best run vert and you do best trick street, you could only be, those points only go towards that category. They don't accumulate together in the one mm. big pooling. And that's kind of what we've been doing. And that's not, that's not a very good assessment. So you have to basically start in order. So there's no such thing as professional fingerboarders, really not yet, yeah. not at this stage. Yeah. So maybe two years, three years, four years down the road, like we will get to a point to where there was like actually like huge contests and stuff where people are winning like crazy cash prizes and stuff like that. But at this point we've got it to basically you're either ranked or you're unranked. Mm-hmm. So everybody will start off as an unranked fingerboarder and kind of like what skateboarding does if you let's say you do best like best trick street and you get first place you will get half a point for every single person that you defeat so to make math easy if Mm -hmm. you get first place and there's 11 competitors you would get you would defeated 10 people to get to first place Mm -hmm. so you would get 10 half points accumulating to five points Mm -hmm. for best trick street and so as an unranked fingerboarder, you would just accumulate those points for each category. So mm-hmm. if you compete in all five categories, you can start accumulating points in all five categories. Mm-hmm. If you only do it in one category, you can only accumulate it in one category. Yeah. The kicker is, is if you were to defeat a ranked fingerboarder, you would get a full point. Mm-hmm. And then in order to become a ranked fingerboarder, you would have to compete in at least five United States fingerboarding sanctioned events. So right now, all of our sanctioned events are going to be on the tour. We are looking like this fall to try to like license that out to other fingerboarding shops, other people that mm-hmm. are also hosting events. I'm not saying they need to host like five categories or anything like that, but they may say, Hey, I want to do best trick street and like host a sanctioned event where, you know, people can actually like go to this event compete in that tournament and then literally get, you know, start accumulating points that way. Mm-hmm. And um, how do you handle someone being able to go to multiple events versus someone who can only go to one or two events? Do you have something like only your best appearance uh, counts or do you like, if I go to uh, two events and I win both of those, Do I get, and let's say in the first one, I defeated 10 unranked. And in the second one, I also defeated 10 unranked. Would I, or let's say in the second one, I defeated 20 unranked. Would I have uh, 10 points, which would only be for my best uh, event? Or would I have 25 points, uh, 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 15 points? Yes, you know what I mean. Does only the, the best appearance count or do you... Uh, stack them over appearances they would get stacked over a period of time 
-hmm. If someone is looking to try to basically get into our ranking system, they would need to become a league member. Mm -hmm. We haven't quite put together a an official dollar amount. We're trying to keep everything as as cheap as possible to really be able to track everybody's stats, the tournaments, where they've been, their profile, all that other good stuff online where you can basically kind of like search and look through. It's going to be a way for fingerboarding companies to try to look for sponsored, like just potential sponsor fingerboarders and try to restructure just how fingerboarding is kind of done. So -hmm. like if you're a fingerboarding company and you're in this one state and you're trying to find a relatively good fingerboarder that's close by, you would be able to like search and be able to find those people. Um, Mm -hmm. I mean, it's just a way to, we're just kind of restructuring how all that stuff is done. Obviously this is all a first time that any of this has been done in fingerboarding. So when we launch this, this summer, like we really want to obviously try to get all the kinks worked out and where it's just a flawless system. And so, oh, to go back to like the actual like ranking system. So like, yeah, they just get compiled on each other. Mm -hmm. So you'd have to have five USA sanctioned events and we are actually including last year's. So if Mm -hmm. you went to any of the ones last year's, they will also be included into this year as well. So we'll we'll grandfather that in. And then you have to place in the top 33% of your contest results 60% of the time. So if you do five events, you would need to get three out of the five in the top 33%. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. So if there's nine people, you need to get in the top three. Mm -hmm. Or 10 people that's in that category, you need to get the top four. Yeah. And then once you can achieve that five events, top 30 three percent of your contest and then do it 60 percent of the time you would actually get moved up into a ranked fingerboarding category it it sounds like uh, you have fought this through quite a lot and i can uh i can see that you're uh uh good with numbers or accustomed to numbers because this sounds very very structured and very (laughs) very very structured we've been working on this for months (laughs) Yeah. And we were close and then we realized last year, like it was more just participation based and like, how do we tweak mm-hmm. this? And I'm like, so if someone is really, really bad, but they compete all the time, I like we had it to where like it was participation based where they can actually rank up really high with points, even though they're not very good. And mm-hmm. it would show them being better than a lot of people because they were just participating. Yeah. Or the new structure, like if you're not very good, you don't rank up very fast and it will reflect that way. So if you're really good, it'll have you ranking up very fast. Yes, sounds sounds really promising because, like I said, I I haven't heard of anything like this anywhere. Like I said, in Germany, it was done up until 2003, I think was the last one. If you you have or have seen... uh, uh, Pissing Fingers won. Uh, there's footage in uh, in there from that tour. I don't think uh, I've actually seen the original. I own yeah, the it's... third one on DVD, and I think I've seen the second one on YouTube. All uh, all of uh, all three are on YouTube, okay. so uh, you can check that one out. And uh, they uh, they did like uh, stops in skate shops or in uh, in youth clubs or in uh, like skate. Uh, halls uh, like that's a very common thing in Germany and uh, yeah they would just bring like one park I think and yeah have one event there and 
uh, I think it was only four or five stops and only across Germany, which, like I said, you can drive through all of Germany in like 12 to 14 hours, like without needing to uh, put the pedal to the metal. So I wish yeah. that was the case here. Yeah. And that's why I wanted to talk to you because the whole thing just sounds massive. And I, I really like when people put work into, into uh, stuff for, uh, for a hobby. So yeah, just based off of that, I want to talk to you because this seems like something that's, yeah, like I said, just hasn't been done before and sounds really, really cool. Like I'm, I'm a bit jealous now and I'm a regular at the Aussie shop. I think a lot of people are jealous of, <laughs> of me. So, yeah. No, yeah, that's, that's awesome. I'm, uh, I'm thankful for all the kind words. That's, that's awesome. <laughs> and, uh, just one, uh, question out of curiosity. Um, why did you decide on Verge versus, uh, pool? Like, uh, or do you, uh, do have like is the vert contest just like a big mini ramp or is it a pool or so we so black river has sponsored our tour they are like all in and all 100 percent behind us nice nice they have made us yeah i know i'm super i mean they were like the sponsor pack that they sent us for last year was just absolutely phenomenal it was way over the top like like they went like I had expectations and they literally smashed through those expectations tenfold, nice. like super, That's super happy. But I mean, they are making us a custom game of skate table. Oh, sweet. So we're looking at probably a one-on-one custom game of skate table. I know you're familiar with the big mini dose. Uh, yes. Uh, so the, or is the big mini dots the the new one? No, that's the mini. No, mini. that's the mini mini. Yeah, it's the bigger version of that. It's the huge Which vert one? ramp. Yeah, I mean, I I know the big mini. Is the big mini dots uh, a special version? Yeah, because the the big mini has been around for as long as I've been in the scene. So yeah, uh, the classic big mini. Yeah, so they are actually making us a custom version of that for the tour. So we'll have a custom vert ramp. It's going to be a version of the big mini dose for the vert competition. And then they are also making us a one-of-one custom street park for the street portions oh, of the competitions as well. That's that's really cool. So it will be the same, the same park across all stops? Correct. Everybody will have the same starting point. So whenever you're looking at other people's competition runs and stuff like that in different cities and you can be like mm -hmm. oh, okay like that's how he did that's the run that's the routine that he decided to choose and it was a really cool experience when we did that last year in 2021 so we actually originally started off doing the bowl competition mm -hmm. we had a massive dark matter um that's a company he makes really 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 good like custom pieces so he made a van's pool it's like massive. It's like yeah, four feet by four one. feet. Yeah. And it's concrete. And that's where a lot of our problems like arise. So if you're transporting things on the road and you got long distances and especially with concrete, 
doesn't make a good combination. So when we arrived to our first event, we had some casualties with the bowl and ended up not being able to do the bowl competition since that was our Mm. primary bowl like park. So honestly, in a weird way, it was kind of a good thing because it is very, very difficult to film in a bowl because of all of Mm. the nooks, crannies and angles. Yeah. So it's something that we could have done, but we would not be able to document it very well. Mm. So are you uh, are you documenting the like each uh, each uh, contest, uh, like each? Uh... Correct. So we will have footage of all of the runs, all of the tricks, so every cool. one of the cities. We did that last year, and uh, I mean. If you want to talk about some serious work, like hosting events is some serious work, but literally all of the editing that goes behind all of the events is like yeah. a whole nother conversation. Yeah. Do, do you do that yourself as well? I do not. Brian okay. O'Neill with Ozarks Marketing Group did a lot of the stuff for us last year. This year we're working on trying to put together a like two, maybe even a three man team to try to be able to get all of the edits and stuff like that out our biggest problem was we were not expecting that much content. And so we got bottlenecked last year, trying to get all of that footage out, all of those edited Mm. photos out. I mean, it's just, it's time consuming. So it's like, you got to get a team together. That's literally dedicated to just doing that. Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, I worked on, uh, like documenting, uh, like big, big parties and stuff like that. And Mm -hmm. even that, like, just like, I, Uh, I once had an event where I was in charge of like two cameras at a photo booth. And uh, I think we had another two cameras that were like roaming around. It was like a party with like 2000 people, something like that. And even like, like even that limited amount, like no video, no editing, like even that was a lot of work because we needed to keep track of SD cards of like, where to upload the files and how to transfer them. And so I can only imagine that that's uh, a big bottleneck to keep track of everything and get everything to the people who need to process it. And yeah. And then just getting it all done in a timely fashion. Cause you know, yeah. everybody is super excited to see their yeah. clips, see all their stuff. So like, you know, yeah. it would take us weeks. I we see their like buddies like when they weren't able to half. Yeah. And so that's just way, way too long. So like we are working very, very hard to make sure that we document everything a lot better. And then basically being able to push all that content out as fast as possible. Yeah. And, and I think that's where uh, the magic player in me is very excited because a huge part of magic, the gathering or competitive magic gathering is when events are happening, uh, all the lists of all the people like, Uh, everyone is playing a list of 75 cards and all the lists are published after the event for like the top X people or something like that and or with a specific record. So we would pour through all those lists and be like, okay, what did did this person play or why did this person advance and I didn't even though we were playing the same thing. And so that is something I uh, I could really sink my teeth into with fingerboarding the whole like, okay, why did this run score good? Or because, uh, uh, for example, we uh, I have a friend here uh, in Germany or in Berlin, uh, Ramon, Ramon Angelo, uh, I think 
a lot of people know him. Probably more people know him than know me. But yeah, he's uh, he's very specific about his contest runs. He would do uh, pretty much no flip tricks in any of his contest runs in the first round or second round. And he would just focus on riding stay on, riding every single part of the park. And uh, basically he's running around the park like three times and doing everything first try versus someone who would do like really gnarly stuff but takes like three tries or two tries or yeah just like seeing all the, those different strategies and seeing what works and i i would find that very fascinating uh if it were like a league in in germany for for example where i would participate just to see okay what can i do to give me the biggest edge uh and those are all really good strategies. I've seen, I mean, honestly, the key to running a very good run is to try to use the most amount of park as possible. Yeah. Consistency. Honestly, like you can do very basic tricks, but if you like just do not like ever just fail or just, you know, just bail any of your tricks and you run a very consistent run, it'll actually run you pretty good pretty good points and then if you can try to save your last like five or ten seconds for like just an all-out banger trick that is the time to kind of do it you want to do it at the end of your run not at the beginning or the middle so that if you do have a bunch of bales it's not going to count nearly as hard as it is if it's going to be at the beginning or the middle of your run so if you got a 45 second run and you just do nothing but consistent tricks and then that 35 seconds in you're like all right we're gonna do this switch nolly tray crook grind whatever whatever it is you know that banger trick that you have like try it then and like if you land it awesome you killed your run if you didn't land it it's okay i mean it's not okay but it's okay you know because it's it's at the tail end and it's not gonna like hurt you as bad and uh how many judges do you uh, do you have at these uh, at each event and do you judge uh, over categories or because uh, I also judged a couple of events and that's something I was always, always very passionate about uh, was the judging and no we agree we are a minimum of two judges mm-hmm. for us because we're a travel we are trying to to find those key personnel judges in each of the cities that we go to just because we really can't afford to take someone along just to judge. Yeah. Yeah. I can imagine. So it is, our personnel is definitely going to be the absolute crucial part of the tour, to be honest with you. Like we have the capabilities of just killing the tour by myself, but it's really just developing the team to bring along and getting all the key pieces together. Mm. But we're looking at two judges minimum per, you know, per event. I would like to have more. It just really depends on like the resources and who I've got available to me basically to be able to do mm. these things. It it sounds like a lot of work, but it sounds also really, really cool. Like it I, is super cool, super rewarding, but it is yeah. a lot of work. <laughs> but um, let's uh, let's talk about uh, a bit about what I see uh, in your background, because uh, for everyone listening, um, we see each other uh, via webcam. You don't, <laughs> and uh, you have a bunch of parks in your uh, background. And you mentioned earlier that you're in the. USA Fingerboard League HQ. Can you tell me a bit, a bit about that? Like, where is it? And yeah, 
how many yeah, cards so do you we, have and stuff like that. Well, of course, of course. So we are located on the south side of Indianapolis, 4005 mm-hmm. Madison Avenue, Indianapolis, Indiana, 46227 zip code. And we are at the corner here we've got a 3200 square foot facility i know you're on metric i honestly should have probably did the conversion uh, rate for I'm, you i'm i'm doing them right now okay so the 3200 square feet facility it is divided into two large open rooms so our first room is our black river showroom floor i guess is what i usually call it we've got uh seven black river parks here we've got the big mini dose, we've got the G6 Plaza, the G7 Plaza, the G8, the G13, the G15, the big mini dose. We've got like the playground, playground XL, the spine, big mama. We're getting ready to get, we just ordered the big mini mini. So we're waiting on that. Mm-hmm. And then yeah, that, that, the, that sounds really cool. Like that, that one just came out. And... Yeah, that just came out. Yeah. So we've got that order placed. We got to wait for it to get shipped over the the pond. I say, but it's the ocean. But yeah, yeah. But that will probably also take a while, right? Uh, yeah, it's uh, it's usually a little bit of a journey. But I mean, we've got enough here to keep us occupied until then. Yeah. <laughs> and then, of course, we'll have the three new parks coming in and stuff for the tour as well. We'll have that custom game escape table, that custom Damn. big mini dose, and that custom street park as well. So we're pretty excited for those. And then when you've got the back room, which we've got all the American companies are back here. We've got Renegade. We've got Dark Matter, Warehouse Rams, Finger Trolls. We've got Collect TV back here. We've got Read Ramps. And so we've also got like a cool lounge area. We've got um, live TV throughout. We've got a PlayStation 5 back there that's hooked up to the Internet. So you can play Tony Pro Skater, Skater XL. Call of Duty, Warzone, nice. all that cool stuff. So it's a really cool hangout area. And so, nice. yeah. And then we stay busy. Every Saturday we host tournaments. And then once a month we've got a big monthly event. And so we do like Best Trick Street, Best Trick Vert one weekend. We do Game of Skate one weekend. Another weekend we'll do like Best Run Street, Best Run Trick. We do our own local league here which draws out a lot of people, a lot of competitors and stuff like that. Gets people mm. in that spirit. And then on our once a month, like one Saturday a month, big event, we do like raffles. We've got prizes, just little mini games, stuff like that. It's more of a hangout. So it's really not that mm. serious. So like the tournaments is kind of when we're on a serious or no, but it's still like a really fun ordeal. And then like the big event is really just more, it's kind of like a, I would say like a mini rendezvous. It's just people really mm. just come and say like, just hanging out, sessioning, stuff like that. So yeah, yeah, and I think uh, it's important to have uh, both kinds of events because I I always felt that in the states uh, there was pretty much only rendezvous like as the biggest event or uh, stuff like uh, I mean you had stuff that uh, sorry for fingerboarding were doing but and they were a bit more focused on uh, on uh, contests but the way I always felt was in Europe pretty much every event is a contest and in the states most events were all about just hanging out and maybe had like a game of skate or something like that so yeah i i I think it's very cool to have that competitive side uh shine a bit more no i i kind of agree i i definitely feel you there 
And so, yeah, we, uh, we're just, I'm just thankful to be able to have the opportunity to literally have a place where people can come and hang out. They can fingerboard. I mean, we've got probably the second, maybe even the third largest collection of parks in one place. Definitely the largest collection of parks that you can physically walk into a public building and such at any time. Yeah. Yeah. And so it's one of those, like, you know, we've got vendors in here. We've got all kinds of product and stuff for sale, object, like obstacles, actual fingerboards, trucks. I mean, like, you can literally come in and pick up a shirt, walk out with a park. Like, you can do all kinds of stuff here. It's pretty cool. And so mm-hmm. it's one of those, like, we just created this paradise for fingerboarders, and it's it's truly unbelievable. Yeah, like, like lately, uh, the states were really, like, really started killing it with... Uh, with like shops opening up everywhere. Like you have so many shops right now in the States and in Europe, it's still pretty much just Aussie Berlin. And you do have a couple other locations where you can sometimes go into like Yellowwood and Pateo and Schwarzenbach. But most of the time you need to know people. And Mm -hmm. it's really cool that you have like, I think a lot of states now have a fingerboard shop, which is insane. Yeah, we're one of five shops. I don't know what you would classify Mike Snyder like. Yeah, I wouldn't really. I don't know if I classify him as one. So, I mean, he's not on the list, but I do want to recognize, you know, the fact that, you know, he does do his thing and he definitely deserves to be mentioned. But, I mean, like, we've got Good Vibes out of Dallas, Texas. We've yes. got Playhouse Fingerboards out of Montebello, California. GA Sessions out of Tustin, California. There's this out of Lakewood, yes. California. Or Colorado, uh, sorry. Colorado, yeah. Yeah, which is, like, 10 minutes outside of Denver. And so, mm-hmm. like, we've got, you know, fingerboard shops. I feel like they're popping up all over the place. Me, United States Fingerboarding League. Playhouse Fingerboards and GA Sessions literally all opened up in like within a three month period of time last year. Yeah, yeah, because uh, I I already talked to uh, uh, what was his name Benji? No, I'm oh damn the guy from Playhouse. I'm oh uh, Baja. Yeah, so yeah. Uh, yeah. I want to say that's how you pronounce it. I've met him twice, and I should know this. And I'm on. Yeah, and I talked to I him. I feel twice. like on TV right now, but yeah, yeah, same. I I feel really bad for not not knowing how to pronounce it, but yeah, uh, I talked to uh, most on that list. I only haven't talked to the uh, the guys behind G8 sessions, but yeah, it's uh, I find it really cool and really worth mentioning, and and that's why I want to shine a spotlight on those because i i think it's just cool to to hear how those things are are created because i think a lot of people just uh, complain that there's never something in their area or that they don't know any other fingerboarders or stuff like that but don't ever like uh, pick up the effort to actually do something or to find people or like I always uh, uh, I always tell that I there's been a period I think over a month where I met the the only fingerboarder in Helsinki Finland three times and three different people and all of those people were telling me that there's no other fingerboarders in Helsinki so uh, I think 
yeah, uh, people need to just try to figure out how to connect with others. And I think with Instagram, that's gotten a bit harder because uh, back in my day when it was only the forums, like you would constantly have threads for, uh, for like where you're from, like our fingerboard is here. And even though the scene was smaller, I felt the local scenes were more connected. And now with Instagram, you don't really know where someone is from. A lot of times you don't e even know what their face looks like. So I think it's much harder to find people. And yeah, if you want to have events, maybe you just have, have to make some. And that's kind of where we were at. I actually started fingerboarding back in 96. I'm 35. Oh, so even before me, like I'm, I'm 34 and I started in 2001. Gotcha. Yeah, I started before Tech Deck even came out. I actually remember Tech Deck coming out. I think it came out in 98. My first yeah. board was a Mountain Dew promotional board with a quarter pipe that we, I, you don't have dollar stores and stuff like that over there, but we've yeah. got the Dollar General. And I literally, yeah. it was a $10 like combination. It was a plastic, uh, which would be equivalent to like a Tech Deck like quarter pipe, but I like the Mountain Dew logo over it. And then I had a Mountain yeah. Dew board. And that was my first board. And so, I mean, I haven't fingerboarded with another person until literally two years ago. So oh. I, yeah, this is, my story is absolutely nuts. Like, so I've been fingerboarding pretty heavy as a kid. And then I took a an eight, probably a nine year hiatus. And I then also took a nine year hiatus. Yeah. I mean, I went to school, college, all that stuff. I mean, like the same. Know, college kids aren't fingerboarding, blah, blah, blah. But yeah. anyways, COVID came around and I was like, you know, lockdowns and all that stuff. And so, you know, I dusted off the old tech deck and I was still rocking a 25, six millimeter. And so I went to Walmart and picked up the newest like tech deck. And that thing was huge. It was a 32 millimeter and it had like aggressive concaves. And I was like, man, this is crazy. And then I guess I did some research and then found they had a wood performance series. And I was like, all right, cool. Like, I like this. This is nice. And then like, I started looking online and kind of seeing like, you know, what other people are doing, if there's other fingerboarders and, you know, and like absolutely blew me away. Like, there's just so much going on on like Facebook and Instagram and stuff like that. And I was like, man, this is absolutely wild. And so I'm looking to see like, if there's any like people that like hang out and do this for fun or whatever. And the mm -hmm. only flyers I could find for anybody hosting events was uh, Colin Hudson, who owns outcast fingerboards. He hosted, I want to say it's Mayday that I went to. No, it was in the fall. It was fall of it was September of 2020. And so I went to that event and I literally had so much fun that like I had to recreate this. I had to get more. I'm like, who else is hosting events? Who yeah. else is hosting events? <laughs> and so like nobody's hosting events. And I'm like, this is crazy. And I'm like, we should bring this to the world. Like this, there should be like events like happening in every state. Like it should be all over the place. Like my adrenaline, like I was just on this natural high and I was just mm -hmm. like, I just, it, I thought about it for like weeks and I was just like, man, like I, it was, I literally had so much fun. I never fingerboarded with like an, another person that was actually like decent and good. And so I basically kind of went out and was like, we should like just host events. I know how to host events. It's not, I'm not going to yeah. sit here and say it's easy, but you know, you get it's some parks, you throw manageable. it in a drone and you manage yeah. it, you know, it's definitely manageable. So I'm like, yeah, we can yeah. definitely do this. Like we'll do a small scale. We'll do like four random cities. Cause you know, the closest fingerboard I know now is eight hours away. 
And so we're like, okay, so like we'll we'll see where the communities and stuff are. We saw like community, like you know, just events being held in Las Vegas. We saw events being held with this out in Denver. Yeah. So like, okay, yeah. we definitely got to go right. to Denver. And Chicago, like I saw some stuff going down up there, some stuff going on in Milwaukee, which is too far away. And so like, all right, we'll throw Chicago on the list and then we'll kind of see what happens. And I mean, we just, we, we killed last year. Like it was just a lot of fun and we just, we put together some really good events. That's so good to hear. And uh, I, I can relate to the uh, seeing a, a modern deck for the first time and being a bit. Oh, it's uh, crazy. So yeah, this outcast events, we saw like people had like, these wide 34 millimeter, 96 millimeter, like boards and like foam tape. And I'm like, man, like, these are nice. These wheels, these are nice. <laughs> like I'm a uh, old school. Like I'm like, you know, like we valued money a little differently. So like me, like $13 on a fingerboard, I can do that. I couldn't justify like $150 setup. And so like after going to that event and seeing everybody with like their joy Colts and like their organic wheels and black river wheels and decks and all that stuff. And I was like, bro, like there is no, like I gotta, I now I can't even like think about not spending that money on like a good setup. And so like, it really like was an eye opener for me. So, and so like my whole reality literally that day just changed for fingerboarding. Like it just completely shifted and went completely to the right. Yeah. Even uh, like, even for me and I, I was heavily involved in German scene back then or not heavily, but heavily in the online scene. And I would uh, go to each fast fingers every year for like five years in a row or something like that. And I uh, like, I had very rich parents when I, I was young. So I I did have like uh, the first generation of uh, Berlin Woods and I had uh, multiple Berlin Woods, like not like a ton. I had like two Berlin Woods, I think. And later I uh, I got a third one, with a, uh, which was the very first deck with a graphic on the bottom. And it was all like self-made by uh, by people with like very thick, like almost plasticky stuff. And... Everything was 26 millimeters. There was pretty much only one wheel company, only uh, Winkler wheels. Mm -hmm. And then another wheel company uh, was doing something really unique. And the guy just came back to fingerboarding, uh, as a matter of fact. Uh, Shout out to uh, uh, Joe uh, from uh, Eurold or Eurold. And he was doing like metal core wheels with like, uh, uh, like a rubber on top. And yeah, that was pretty much everything that existed. Like you had those wheels and Winkler wheels. You had no trucks. You had Berlin Woods and like a handful of people who were doing their own decks, but only like maybe three companies to uh, to speak of and everything uh, 26 millimeter because that was the size of tech deck trucks. So when I came back and... Uh, was at the shop because my wheels were falling apart and was like, hey, I need new fingerboard wheels. And I saw another guy at the shop who was setting up a 34 millimeter board. I was like, what the hell is that? (laughs) Like, those wheels actually turn, the the trucks actually turn. You don't need to, like, super glue the trucks because they kept falling apart. Like, yeah, it was a real culture shock. I just wish that I would have just stayed more serious into it. Like, 
I feel like I wasted so much time, like, <laughs> you know, like taking a nine year hiatus, like, man, if I would have stayed with it, like I was Insane. really, really good, even for like just a skinny 25.6 millimeter tech deck. Like, I mean, I was hitting kickflip nose slides and kickflip five oh grinds and all that stuff on just those little bitty boards. And like, if I would have stayed with it and just like, I, I mean, I could be doing some wizardry stuff right now. Yeah. Yeah, when when I came back from my nine-year hiatus, I was also like, damn, I missed, like, the best part. Because in Germany, uh, 2010 was, like, really the big the big boom of fingerboarding. Like, it was at its highest, probably. And I think we, we are, again, seeing a bit of a high, but nothing compared to that. And I was like, damn, I, I missed, like, all the... All the like I, I was around for like the when it wasn't cool and stuff, but I would uh, and I mean it's it's cool to see uh, where, uh, to seen where it begun, but I also would have liked to see it at its at its highest and see it like yeah succeed and see all those companies yeah, no, pop out and yeah. It's but, like I missed a huge chunk of history, and it's like very hard to find it because it's not fingerboarding for the most part is very undocumented that's actually one of the reasons why i started this podcast because i i felt the same thing and that's why i uh, wanted to talk to people like martin ehrenberger or uh, old heads like uh, tobias fieler who back in the day was one of the most influential fingerboarders or fabian schreiter who is now a very good friend of mine uh, mm -hmm. Like we've known each other for like 20 years now, all over fingerboarding or people that have just been in the scene forever, like Manu Oberle and, and people from outside Germany who continued fingerboarding uh, or uh, into their own countries and into their own scenes. And I, I find it's, it very fascinating to talk to people like you who just decide to just do something about not having events and well yeah. i just saw a just a whole i mean there's a lot of people out there that are actually hosting events and stuff like that with, with hindsight 2020 and stuff but it's uh still very few and far be like in between just because the mm -hmm. nation is so large for us i mean yeah. i host every i mean i sponsor every single event that i see just so that i can try to help grow the scene and just getting encouraging more people to kind of host events and stuff themselves i do a lot of mentoring stuff like that i've helped like four or five people that were like i kind of want to do host an event but i have no idea how to go about doing it and so mm. i've helped people literally like set up and host their first events and they're like bro this is so much fun this is so cool like i can't wait to host another one and yeah. so it's just it's very very rewarding but it's like I mean, there's at least 16, 17 states that do not have a single fingerboarding community that's established. Yeah. So it's still, we still got a long way to go here in the States for sure. And I don't think I'm that guy that can honestly like, you know, try to get to every one of these states, but it's, you know, everybody does their part. And I feel like, you know, overall the whole scene will just benefit together. Yeah. And yeah, Once again, I, I think it's really, really cool that you do that. And I, I, I think you're succeeding if like someone from all across the pond has heard of that and has seen the stuff. And yeah, I think, I think you're doing a really good job so far. And yeah. 
hope I, I'm excited to see how it unfolds in the future. We are as well. I am extremely excited, also kind of nervous, and because yeah. <laughs> I just, you know, I, I have, I put such high expectations on myself and just others, and it's one of those like my biggest fear is just letting people down. I know that even if I just, you know, I, I have ass this thing basically like it's still going to be a really cool event but like mm. i just have that fear of just, like, just letting off. people down yeah yeah and so like it's one of those things that always just keeps pushes me it's just like i've got to under promise and over deliver yeah i mean that, that's a good good way for uh, like good advice for life anyway um I uh, would jump into a section I'd like to call the rapid fire section, even though it's usually anything but rapid. <laughs> so <laughs> try to keep it as quick as quick as possible. <laughs> yeah, but if you if you spend a bit on uh, some of those answers, that's absolutely fine. Um, so, what are your favorite wheels? My favorite wheels are abstracts. Yeah. Um. And I'm already jumping in and making this not rapid. Uh, didn't Redemption, who make abstracts, also used to have a location, like a store where you could walk in? Or... That I am not sure. Because I, I thought they did, but I checked and they now don't. So, yeah, I don't know about that. Yeah, that I'm not sure. And it's hard to find out because a lot of stuff's undocumented. Yeah, yeah. That's... That... that that oftentimes has been a problem for me. Like when I try to, like now I know that Tech Day uh, got founded in 98 and I also know that Black River got founded in uh, 99 and Berlinwood in 2001. But I only know that stuff because I talk to people from all over and mm -hmm. you can't find a lot of that information online. Like Black River, you can obviously find on the stickers, but you would usually need to ask people, hey, was Berlinwood founded in 2000 or 2001 or when did Tech Deck come to Germany? And yeah, so. No, I, I agree. Yeah. But yeah, um, what's your favorite deck and shape? Deck and shape would be double joint popsicle. Mm -hmm. I It fits me perfectly. I probably ran through about 30 companies all of them are good in their own way, but for some reason, like the shape of that popsicle just it fits my size fingers and my just style of tricks perfectly. Yeah, I I, I know that feeling of trying everything and just finding what you like. Um, what's your favorite trick on flat? Favorite trick on flat? Varial flip. And what's your favorite trick on obstacle? Probably like a combo or just like a single trick? Like your your favorite trick to do on an obstacle. For me, it's usually the one I I do first whenever I go to an obstacle, like the one that I oh, just gotcha. like doing. It'll be a backside blunt, shove it, blunt combo. Oh, I'm yeah. pretty notoriously known for this thing. I do it <laughs> like probably better than if like a 50 people on the planet can do it. I would probably say I do it probably the top five best. Like that combo <laughs> and, is like in my sleep, I can do it. And that's something I can't do. Like I'm, 
I'm generally generally not good at combos. Like I'm very good at flipping into stuff. Like I'm that that's like my strong suit. I'm horrible at flipping out or doing anything while I'm on a ledge or on a rail. So, so that's yeah. my opposite. So like because of how I started, I started before the internet. Mm. Well, I mean like the internet was boo boo back in like ninety six. I mean Yeah. So like I didn't have access to people doing crazy things on fingerboards. So we just emulated like what skateboarders were doing at the time. So mm -hmm. like, I mean, the most intense thing you saw on skateboarding, I mean, we're going to set Roddy Mullen aside, but like you do like a kickflip, no slide, kickflip out, you know? And that was like yeah. a big, like if anybody did that trick, you were being sponsored. And yeah. so like for me to yeah. be able to like do those like tricks that are all basically like, they came down to like five tricks, which is like the kickflip, Pop shove it, tray flips, and varial flips, really. And, like, everything was comboed off of that. So, like, I pretty much have those four tricks down, but I combo those, like, crazy. And mm -hmm. so, nollies, switch tricks, stuff like that really didn't exist back then. So, like, my game of skate, like, level of, like, competition is, like, for me personally, like, I'm trash. Like, I cannot game of skate, like, at all. Yeah. Like I've got like seven tricks and like, that's it. <laughs> and so like, but my combos are heavy. Like I can probably yeah. try to literally make a spreadsheet. I can probably get a good 70 combo nation tricks and stuff like out. Like mm. it's crazy. I'm, I'm currently trying to film a part where it's mostly combos or lines. And I end up doing a, a lot more lines than combos because a lot of my combos are usually do shove it out or do like, yeah, something simple. Yeah. yeah. That's not too shabby. I need to, honestly, I need to start filming more. I've got all these parks and, like, I don't film at all. Like, <laughs> I mean, I, I only film when I have, like, a reason to. Like, I filmed a part for uh, Five Luck who arrived for a year ago or, like, nine months ago. And still, sadly, uh, hasn't come out yet. But it's it's done and just waiting for the right opportunity okay. but um yeah and the only reason i'm filming now is because there's a video project that's coming out soon and i need to yeah just uh, i'm already too late for that so i just need to haul ass a bit and yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah um what's your favorite music song right now music song i've been listening to a lot of heavy metal lately you're uh yeah i uh that, that's music to my ears <laughs> so like probably saving alexandra anything by them um man i actually got on a limp biscuit kick lately too i got <laughs> back into that i heard a song randomly and i was like man what happened to them so like i've been like like secretly listening to limp biscuit in my car for the last three days I haven't listened to anything Limbiscuit past uh, Chocolate Starfish. Okay, that's a good, yeah, yeah. I get so hyped when I hear, like, Rollin' and stuff like that. I'm yeah. like, man, I get so hyped. Yeah, and and I mean, uh, some of those things are still classics. I mean, Rolling, every, everyone knows that. Like, yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, do you prefer outdoor or indoor fingerboarding? Uh, indoor. 
Yeah, I can't, can't imagine. Um, what's the favorite obstacle? Anything that is a ledge or squared. So like Makes a square sense. rail or a ledge. Yeah. Concrete, wood, or granite? Mm. Uh, granite slash marble. I would probably say wood, because that's primarily what I fingerboard on the most, but I love the feel of granite and concrete. Yeah. Yeah, I, I like concrete a lot. Granite I, just feels good. Doing like a Manny combination on like a granite like ledge or Manny pad, yeah. like that's extremely satisfying. Yeah, on, on my park, I only have like the floor of uh, granite, but, uh, but yeah, everything else is concrete. But yeah, granite can also be quite good. Like my main problem with wood is it's so loud. And when you're fingerboarding in a flat, like here in Berlin, I, I live in a flat with like, uh, I, f I think there's around 20 flats in my building. And uh, yeah, and we're part of like a big street where every building is like that. So that's understandable yeah, I, for sure. I, like I'm I can't make that much sound. Yeah, because in, in the shop, it doesn't matter if, uh, if yeah. the Black River Wood Park is loud. But at home, I, uh, I really, I redid my park mainly for that reason, because I, I felt uncomfortable fingerboarding past a certain hour, because I was like, yeah. No, I completely understand that as yeah. well. Like, it is definitely very, very loud. I know, I, I remember I used to literally annoy the crap out of my parents, because you just hear the same, crack, same. Like, all the time. Yeah, I, I only had wood ramps back in the day. I built uh, everything. Oh, I had and... the plastic stuff, like all the tech tech stuff. And that's like the loudest. I, uh, it's so hollow and it just tings. I think I still have never ridden a tech tech ramp because they were just never available in Germany. Like you wouldn't see them at like a big store or like. I I don't think I still haven't ridden one. And I mean, I don't really feel like it, but yeah. No, I understand. They're a great start now. They're just not scaled to size to where they're really enjoying. Yeah, yeah. That's uh, that's always what I what I see online. They always like if so they made tiny. them twice as big, like Tech Deck yeah. would literally take over the entire like obstacle game. Like they make yeah. great obstacles if they were scaled to size. Yeah, and then just fill them with concrete, and yeah, then they don't move around, and you're good to go. Um, Nolly switch regular or fakey? Fakey. Uh, do you have hobbies outside of fingerboarding? I actually, I am a childhood chess prodigy. And oh. then I kind of got out of it for about 20 years. And then as I relocated here to Indianapolis, there is a huge chess community and i mean like ranked chess and all that stuff like like big league chess nice. and so i am recertifying for my chess card and i am excited to get that in the mail hopefully soon and actually start participating back again into that um it's also how i kind of structured the rankings and stuff as well so i kind of based a little bit off of skateboarding and a little bit off of how chess is basically ranked if everything in magic the gathering is based off of chess like we used a Swiss tournament style with uh, points for draw, for advance, and matching people, and yeah. like th that's basically the only thing I know about competitive chess. 
is that they invented what like we uh, like when i go to tournaments i uh i always ask the other people okay if i win this round can i draw the next one to get this and that uh, like uh, standing at the end and they will like always like calculate that stuff in their head because it's so well known here in the or at least in in magic that system is like ingrained in into us understand understand for sure but yeah i've always been playing chess off and on but like i'm pretty excited to have that community back here and get back into that but i can, can i play chess and i play uh i play call of duty like crazy nice i'm more of a, a counter-strike player but i'm also okay, like okay. very bad and very casual like i i play like three games a week and then i i hate it again for a week <laughs> no understand <laughs> I probably play a little bit more than I really should be, but yeah. Um, do you have a favorite fingerboard video? I own a lot of fingerboarding videos. So, like, I've got a lot of the older tech deck stuff on VHS. So, I've got, like, Fingers of Fury. I've got oh, nice. Flying Fingers. Um, those two are really, really good. Every now and then I'll, like, hook up the VCR and, like, hook it up to my like crazy like high def tv and watch the extremely bad pixelated version of it but like it's uh like fingers of fury is probably my favorite from tech deck i don't really know if there's like i mean like i like the classical stuff just because that's what i grew up on i know like mike snyder's made a full length 2020 which is pretty good um outcast made a uh sorrow movie Back in November 2021, that was actually pretty good as well. He's local to us. We did a video premiere for him. Oh, nice. Yeah. I don't think I've actually seen too many professional fingerboard full lengths, to be honest with you. I mean, there's pissing fingers and all that, which is good. It's not like... It's just structured differently than I think I would like. But Mm. I'd probably say Tech Tech Fingers of Fury. Definitely Mike Snyder's 2020 uh video like full length like hour and a half long video deal mm. and then outcast is sorrow nice and i need to check out uh, sorrow because i don't think i've seen that one it just got released last november november 19th so i mean it's only like three months out so it's not like crazy crazy like long but definitely uh check it out on youtube i think it's uploaded there mm-hmm. yeah i made a note and we'll check it out later um what's your favorite black river park oh hit me where it hurts because <laughs> usually this question is uh quite hard because usually most people don't know like is this like the g15 or the g13 uh, or the g8 or yeah. yeah i mean like if literally like the building was on fire and like I had to literally save one of these parks. Like, I don't honestly know that I can really give you that answer. I would probably say the G eight would be my favorite. I mean, it's like the classic modern. uh, It's got everything that you ever would want for a park. I mean, it's got a huge transitional half pipe. It's got the mani pad, which is probably my literally favorite thing on the entire park. And then, you know, it's got the little Humpty Hump on one side. I mean, it's a good-looking park. I uh, I despise that 
those wobbles like i i don't know why i like if i would have that park because uh, that that's also my go-to i think mm -hmm. and i would just replace all that stuff with something i can actually write i mean it's 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 cool it's not i mean it's hard to skate it just because it's not something that normal people would you know try yeah. to skate it so like in order to I, like get from one hump to the other hump i mean you got to get some serious hang time and like I mean, and, you gotta... and like i i think i would like it much more with only two humps because like doing a trick from one to one from one to the other is quite manageable but then landing again and having the third wobble it's like i don't know but it's a cool park it is a cool park nonetheless yeah um flat ground with obstacle or a park once i've i'm kind of like a park collector now like it's hard to go back <laughs> like i see like everybody's like oh you should get this obstacle and i'm like i don't really know if i need an obstacle when you got all these parks so same i I have pretty much no obstacles that I didn't build for my park because my park is basically a giant collection of obstacles because right. it's uh, the whole modular thing. But I never, like, every time, like, I have three or four benches now. And yeah, I don't really know what to do with them because it's like, yeah, I like them, but. Yeah, and that's how I was. I had a huge collection of obstacles, and then once I started getting into the park game, it, like the obstacles kind of became obsolete. Yeah, and I think uh, with uh, with fingerboarding, like skating a park is much more akin to skating street on uh, the big skateboard. At least that's how I see it, because it's like for me, it's always if you film at home like if you sit at home with your obstacle that's i related to uh, relate that to a skate park like if you film a clip there it's like in a controlled environment you know that that's pretty much the skate park thing but if you have a fingerboard park usually you don't get to ride it all the time and it's something you can't change something there you have to work with what you got so i relate that much more to like street skating and on the big board so yeah that's also a reason why i like it so much because it's totally different from just riding one obstacle i understand yeah um heel flip or kick flip kick flip do you have a favorite fingerboarder probably nico frank he, he is a good one he is a good one <laughs> Uh, what's your favorite food right now? Favorite food? I'm a fat kid, so, like, I mean, I've got, like, I mean, I can probably eat tacos for the rest of my life, so I'll probably go with tacos. <laughs> um, yeah, I also just had tacos a couple days ago, so, yeah. I mean, they're it's just good. good. They're good anytime. They're good for breakfast. Yeah. They're good at 2 o'clock in the morning. Like, they're just good. Yeah. Yeah, and I had the leftovers as breakfast the next day. <laughs> um, do you have a favorite skateboarder? I really like Shane O'Neill. I think his style is just buttery. I mean, he has just the steeziest tricks. Makes sense if you like Nico Frank to also like Shane O'Neill, because I think they fit a very similar mold uh, 
Yeah, I can see that. Sports. Are out. Yeah. Uh, loose or tight trucks or medium? Um, and what is medium? medium? And what is medium for you? Because pretty much everyone says medium. And when I tell people that I ride medium, people be like, no, you ride hard <laughs> trucks. Gotcha. I would say, I mean, like loose to me is literally where like your truck just freely dangles. Like you can yeah, turn when it. it rattles. Like, yeah, yeah, it'll rattle. Like it'll, yeah. you can turn it and the truck literally moves with the board. That's loose to me. So I would say literally in between that and being like so tight, it doesn't move at all. Okay. Um, what was your last personal NBD? So the last trick you did, you never done before or a big trick for you or I learned a new combo about three days ago in the big mini dose, which is the mm -hmm. giant, like black river half pipe. I did a varial flip to blunt slide up the extension kick flip mm -hmm. out. That sounds uh, quite, quite good. Um, do you prefer to have one setup or multiple setups? I like one setup, but I like the same setup three different times. So like <laughs> I have that as I, well. <laughs> I have three of the same boards with the exact same setup. And so like I have one for like in my car. I have one that I keep here at the shop. I've got one I keep at the house. So like no matter where I'm at, I have basically like the exact same setup. And it's like I feel like my fingerboard is like my avatar. Like you, once you mm -hmm. sink into your fingerboard, like you turn in the X games mode, like you're, you're good. Yeah. The thing that I hate is when like I go to like an event and like I test out like someone else's board and then I go back to mine and it doesn't feel right. Like okay. immediately after, like I hate that. I love it and I hate it at the same time. <laughs> yeah. I like having multiple setups. Uh, like I, I can pretty much write anything. Like I, I don't like old school shapes, but anything like popsicle-ish, I can write any length, any concave, any, yeah. But I also found what I like. So uh, I have, like, I also like having the same board a couple times, but I have it with different configurations of uh, trucks and wheels. For example, I have uh, two decks in my hand right now. One is my go-to main setup with black river trucks and the wheel uh the wheels where i ride uh, the wheels i ride for uh hard sphere and uh the other one has dynamics and joy codes so it's very yeah i i like having the the different things but i also pretty much never write the other setups so even though i have 10 <laughs> i i always write the same one and i always have one go-to and yeah That's the one I never leave home without. No, that makes sense. I, I hear that a lot, especially locally and stuff like that. I see people with two, three, four different setups that they'll use. And for me, it's just learning that balance of your board and being able to like sink into your board, especially for a lot of these more complicated combos and stuff. Like, mm -hmm. You got to be, you got to really, really know your board. Yeah, that, that that's, that's also true. And that's also why I like, uh, Oh, I actually found another one uh, of the same deck. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But yeah, I uh, I also like having one thing that you really know because you know how it flips, you know how, how it turns, it shoves. You, Yeah, it's it's just 
it's very minor, but you notice it after a while. Mm -hmm. And I think that's the thing with fingerboarding in general, because everything is so small. You notice when a board is like f uh, 31 millimeter instead of 32 or 33.3 instead of 33. Like, yeah. And that's the problem with like, you know, people like us who've been doing it for so long is that you really know all the little different, like if I was to literally replace the bushings in my deck right now, like it would probably literally throw me off. And so like, you know, if you haven't been doing it very long, like you may put bushings on you, like you might notice maybe that it's, you know, but it, like you would still like, you know, mm -hmm. it wouldn't like phase you kind of a thing. And like, little yeah. minor changes like that to me like literally would throw me off for a good couple of days yeah I, uh, I have like a certain like wear amount on my tape uh, where for, to most people the tape still seems totally fine and for me I'm like no I, I can't write this anymore I need to <laughs> throw in the new sheet and I pretty much always have like a at least one big pack of uh, FBS tape uh, at my house so I I have tape every time. Like I, I, I never run out of the tape. Opposite. I will run my stuff into the ground. I will run my boards into the ground. Like I know you can't see like on the like the viewers yeah. and stuff, but I mean like that's my daily shredder. I mean it is. You can't see the graphics. You can't see nothing. I mean I'll just slap a new deal of tape on it and I'll just I'll write it until literally it just isn't functional anymore. Okay, and and for me like there comes a point in which. Uh, I notice like a very small amount of pop losing out of the deck and uh, the decks I write, they last very long. Like when I wrote other decks, I would uh, cycle out or run through decks like every three months, like every three to uh, six months and a deck had no pop left. And that'll yeah, happen with my car fingerboard for sure. The one okay. I keep in my car because it gets hot yeah, and cold yeah. and all that stuff. Like, but yeah. if I didn't have it and I found a spot, you know, then like I'd be very upset. Like, I yeah. can't touch that spot. So it goes with the territory, I guess. Yeah. Um, do you like uh, plastic or urethane wheels? Urethane. What's your most hated trick in a game of skate? Anything switch, anything nolly, front finger impossibles absolutely destroy me. I'm getting better at them, but my trick list is not very long. Like I said, I probably got yeah. seven flat ground tricks to my name, and like, but my combos are heavy. Like, if you play Game of Skate on a park, like, I would destroy you, but like, flat ground, like, I am not very good. Yeah, I'm, like, I, I have like very go to park tricks. Like, I have tricks I hit much more frequent. And they usually like flip trick in to a grind. And th that's why I'm like decent at a park, but definitely once someone figures out that I can't really flip out of stuff, it destroys me quite fast. And on flat ground, I have a lot of tricks. Like I'm decent at Nolly and Switch. So yeah, I, uh, yeah, that's like the only trick I really can't do is like uh, nolly and switch inward heel and switch physics you pop shove it and i'm getting better at those but yeah it's yeah those are hard tricks for sure but i mean doesn't mean that i land everything like no like, i understand but it's always I, good I to have those can, under your, you know yeah. just under your inventory of tricks yes um do you have a favorite beverage favorite beverage 
man, I have diabetes, so I mm. am like sugar free right now. So anything Diet Mountain Dew would definitely like they got crazy flavors out here in the United States. So any of that would do. But before diabetes, uh, orange soda. Oh, man, pretty much anything sweet, even like alcoholic drinks and stuff like that. I mean, like those, I mean, I can't really get into right. a lot of those either, but just because all the sugar content, but I miss, yeah. I miss sugar to be. Yeah. Can, I'm, I'm, try, I'm trying to cut down on my sugar because I gained a lot of weight during uh, lockdown. And yeah, so cutting down on sugar is definitely tough. So yeah. Yeah, yeah must, I heard that. Must be rough. So. Yeah, it's a, uh, I mean, it's theoretically, I mean, like diabetes kind of saved my life. I honestly think that I probably live about 15 years longer now just because of the fact that I'm more aware of what I'm eating, what I'm putting in my body, stuff like that. Mm. And so like when I got diabetes, it wasn't even a shock. Like, I mean, I, I would just eat sugar. Like it was just going out of style and I did it for yeah. decades. And so like when it happened, like I was sad, but I'm like, yeah, I kind of understand. Like, you know, yeah, it was, it was this like, yeah. it's not like it just hit me out of left field. Like, well, how did this happen? And it was like, yeah. oh yeah. Like as I'm eating candy, as they're like telling me I've got it. Like, yeah. When like, uh, I had a similar feeling when like I injured my left arm when I tried to get back into skating like three or four years ago. And now my left arm is not really functional. Like, uh, I can do stuff with it, but yeah, it's definitely not even close to to normal. So uh, when I was a kid, I broke uh, like my arm five times, and that was the only thing I ever broke, and it was always my left arm. So when I when I then broke my left arm a couple of years ago, and it turned out to be like very bad and uh, like being a permanent injury, I was like. Yeah, I kind of had it coming. Like, <laughs> was I could have seen that one. Yeah, um, it's rough too. Yeah, but uh, I mean, it, it it's it's manageable. Yeah, so. I think living without sugar is much much worse. I would agree. I would definitely like rather not have a left arm and be able to eat as much sugar as I could than to have a left arm and not be able to eat sugar. So I would agree with that. Um, cats or dogs? Dogs. Um, do you have sponsors out, outside of uh, the events you host? Like as a fingerboarder? Yeah, yeah. As I individual. theoretically am like, so like it's so weird so like i pretty much sponsor myself um mm. <laughs> i'm a day trader like that's where like the primary source of my income comes from mm. and so like if i want to go to an event i just go to an event or you know if i need mm. to buy a new setup i just buy a new setup so i never yeah. really needed like a sponsor for you know just to be sponsored yeah. I've always just been kind of like just did my own thing and then you know hopefully people will just kind of be like oh that's cool what he's doing like I should you know maybe join him or be a part of it or whatnot but I don't really like sponsors for me are kind of different than sponsors for everybody else mm -hmm. yeah I also feel that uh, sponsors in fingerboarding usually happen at a point where you don't really need a sponsor anymore 
usually that's how it's always is like when you're starting out everybody wants to be sponsored and then once you're like established and stuff then you realize that like sponsors aren't really like that important to you anymore but but also in in skateboarding like where it actually revolves like skateboarding is actually your primary source of income and also decks wear through much faster on a big board because even when I uh, go through a deck like in half a year, that's much faster than the average fingerboarder. That's true. The game has definitely been structured differently between fingerboarding and skateboarding for sure. Yeah. Setups don't last very long. Setups can break. I mean, if you do a gnarly, you know, 15 stair gap and you land on yeah. that board wrong, you'll snap it. And so yeah. like having a board sponsor and stuff like that is definitely, you know, definitely way more beneficial than having like a board sponsor as a fingerboarder just because like I've been riding the same setup for almost a full year. And yeah. so the sponsor me, like you just give me $150 worth of stuff a year and I'm good for a year. And yeah, so, so it's not quite the same. Yeah. Like, uh, like, uh, the, uh, Bert from five luck recently went away for like, uh, uh, like almost, uh, uh, nine months. So, like when he went away, I still had stuff to ride, like without even getting close. Like now I'm running a bit dry, but it's not like you you actually need new stuff. Most of the times it's like, yeah, I kind of want a new board or I want a new set of wheels or like, especially with urethane, when you ride a, a lot of like rougher surfaces, that's actually the one that, that wears through much quicker than than most of my other fingerboard components because i flat spotted wheels before like multiple no definitely the one other thing that people don't realize too is like when people compete at events those events are costly they're costly to enter they're costly to join there's travel that you know because 99 percent of the time like if you were to do a competitive skateboarding event that event is like on the other side of the country And so, you know, you'd have to catch a flight or you have to, you know, there's going to be some financial like obligations that go to, you know, needing to be sponsored and stuff as well. So like if you're a sponsor with a skateboarding company, like they're going to pay for your flight, they're going to pay for your hotel. And so like for skateboarding, you know, right now, like it's important to get sponsors because they'll help cover those costs. Fingerboarding, which, you know, we're kind of pushing that into, you know, pushing that aspect into that direction. But as of right now, like, you know, there really isn't any other events out there that's pushing people to really kind of compete, looking for sponsors, stuff mm-hmm. like that. Not yet. But even even still, I never heard of a sponsor like like paying for someone's ticket or like even if it were just like a train ticket in, in Germany, which if you book the correct one and don't mind spending a bit longer in the train... You can get it quite cheap. Like even that, I I never heard in fingerboarding because it's like all the amounts of money are usually much more much smaller, and you uh, most people that do make a living of fingerboarding do make it by making boards or selling stuff, and not by riding. Yeah. Um, thirty-two, thirty-three, or thirty-four millimeter. I actually ride 36s. Damn. What I ride. I've got a size 14 and a half ring finger. So my fingers are absolutely wow. just 
monster sandwich like just sausages basically it just mm. so 36 millimeter boards 36 by 96 is what i ride that's what i prefer yeah i also prefer 96 and i had to get get used to like the smaller with a uh, smaller length just yeah but honestly 36 millimeter feels the best for me but 32 millimeters are easier to do almost every single trick that I love to do. Okay, yeah. I mean, there definitely are tricks that are easier with one setup versus the other. Like, uh, yeah, and some shovets are easier with with a bigger board or a smaller board. Like, usually the the wider the board is, the easier it's con- uh, it is to control in shovets. The smaller it is, the easier it is to flip stuff and to control it in the air. And I think you're right. 32 is a good compromise, but yeah, it's uh, too skinny for me. 32s aren't bad. I mean, I grew up on 25.6s, so like if right now, Levine, like through this board at like 15 years ago, Levine, like I would be literally like skating on a boat. Like it would be like... Like couldn't even fabricate it. Yeah, it 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 evolved so much. Like just looking at my old boards, they look so different. Yeah. Um, if you could choose a sponsor, who would? Uh, yeah, just let let's say just give you stuff and not uh, get you to events. What would your dream sponsor be? My dream sponsor would probably be Black River, but not for the reasons why you think. My dream sponsor would be Black River or Warehouse Ramps, mainly because they are park builders, mm-hmm. and I am absolutely obsessed with parks. Those are like, I just love them. I just, I love yeah. them. Yeah, I, I mean that, that's that would be a very good sponsor to have. Um, do you have a favorite Instagram follow? So an account on Instagram that you like seeing new content of the most. All right, so I follow quite a few people. I like following like a few board makers, a few like dark matter. He makes yeah, he makes like just crazy parks renegade makes crazy parks um tiny ramco made the replica of the sls park mm. they're actually like i really love the park aspects of fingerboarding that's like my thing so a lot of people that i follow that i really pay attention to are people that are just like creating events putting together crazy parks crazy setups unique obstacles um more of along like that aspect mm. and do you have a favorite overall company overall that's a good question i would probably say it's going to be a handful of companies but not for the reasons that you think so like this good vibes um, all the storefronts, people that are like just usually like hosting events. I feel mm. like the market is very saturated with like <clears throat> just like product makers. 
Yes. And so for me, like for you to stand out, you have to be able to do things that normal like people in the industry are not doing. And so a lot of people are not really hosting events. There's not a lot of park makers. I mean, I can almost name all park makers in the world, like on 10 fingers. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's just, uh, it's just, it's those are the companies that like I like. Those are the companies that I really pay attention to. Warehouse Ramps, Black River, you know, Renegade, Dark Matter, Tiny Ramco. Just basically, if you're just a park maker, you're hosting events, you're just, you're doing things like that. Like that's, that's, that's who I'm really paying attention to. Yeah. Yeah. I think, uh, I think that that's a really good point. Cause I, I also think that the product making and selling stuff is quite saturated, but yeah, people, people doing stuff for, for you to come to, and that includes both events and shops and yeah or just organizing hangouts at friends uh, like i know a couple of people from uh, the town where i'm originally from from stuttgart in the south they were like getting to get a really good scene of like just hanging out at one place like every month and then COVID happened but yeah uh, so yeah just trying to get something going for people to hang out, come and hang out is something that i think could be done much more and uh i really admire everyone who starts doing something like that so yeah i think this is a very very good place to end it um one uh, uh a few couple of more uh, housekeeping things before we uh, yeah, bring this uh, episode to a close um uh since I'm starting or restarting the podcast now, if any of you listening, or you for that matter, have uh, someone that you want me to talk to or have a recommendation who I could interview, please let me know. I'm uh, open open for people who I can talk to that I haven't talk, uh, talked yet with. And also um, Spotify now has a, a rating system if you want to you can do that but you really don't have to and like i said i'm trying to do this one uh every uh, once a month uh from now on and yeah uh thank you so much for taking the time this took a lot longer than i originally thought but it was a really really cool conversation i think yeah, i definitely i enjoyed it very much and i i found it a really nice uh experience uh that you've had or uh, like a really nice it, it was really nice to to uh, hear things from uh, your perspective and what you were doing for the scene so yeah f thank you for that and thank you for doing what you're doing because i think it's really cool and really important yeah well thank you so yeah thank you everyone for listening and you'll catch me in the next episode Bye. Bye.